Welcome to the Keos Podcast, a series dedicated to bringing you the best claims and legal insight. Hi, thanks for joining us for the latest instalment of our Market Affairs podcast. Today, I am joined by Ken Young, partner and head of Complex and Cat PI at Keos. Um, and we're going to be talking about all things inflation, um, which very much feels like a dirty word at the moment, doesn't it, Ken? Um, uh, it feels absolutely <laughs> definitely, yeah. So uh, today's headlines, inflation um, at a 40-year high of 9% as energy bills soar. So very timely for us to be chatting through this topic. Um, Bank of England expecting inflation to continue to keep rising this year. They say to reach around 10%, although it feels like maybe they're being a bit optimistic if we're a May 9% um, with things um, going as they are. Um, but whilst we can't predict the future, if only we could, um, the hope, certainly according to the Bank of England, is that inflation will start to decrease next year. They say landing close to 2% in around two years' time, uh, but with the price of some goods and services expected to remain higher than we have previously been used to. Um, We've looked into this topic in a a recent article, but with it being in a very quickly moving area, um, Ken, I just wanted to pick up with you on a few different um, areas that we've been considering previously. And starting with care costs. Um, So there doesn't seem to be an area that isn't impacted by rising inflation. Um, Care costs is an area that we have um, considered in in some detail previously. But I wonder what you're seeing in terms of movement on care costs. And do you think there is any potential for any improvement or settling of inflation of care costs in the near future? Uh, I would like to have some good news, but I think in terms of an improving picture in the short term, uh, I don't think there is any good news on that front at the minute. We're certainly seeing uh, on a fairly regular basis stories of of care costs going up and increases in hourly rates. We're certainly paying and seeing rates, you know, way more per hour than we were prior to Brexit and over the last sort of two years or so reports of massive percentage increases 16 percent being quoted double digit percentage increases um it is a real problem uh in the sector um and you know everyone is reporting the same thing all sorts of reasons for that and lots of different uh moving parts in a way recruitment of staff in this sector is is a real challenge but it's not just recruitment it's actually the retention of those staff as well uh news just this week wasn't there i think of uh the recommendation to uh leave lower paid jobs and go and get better paid ones and again the care sector was referenced uh and then you've got obviously the pressure then on on what the the agencies do how do they recruit people how do they retain them and the obvious uh measure to look at is obviously to increase the hourly rates uh we're seeing uh things such as you know other incentives to try and uh recruit people and and keep them within an organization whether that be bonuses added to the structure rather than just increasing the hourly rate um but all of it is a picture of increased costs and that's been happening uh 
regularly routinely and it's not just in one part of the country it's all across the country um there are there are pockets where it's marginally better if better is the right word probably not um but it's a real problem in terms of whether it's going to settle in the future uh there's a school of thought that says well this is uh you know it's going to settle down as you mentioned in the intro well if inflation starts to decrease and we get to two percent in two years time then well we've just got to tough it out for that period of time but i'm not so sure that that's uh, a prediction that's going to apply to the care sector necessarily because it has been a problem in the past in terms of staffing and recruitment and packages um and if people are looking to move out of that sector um then uh you know brexit had an impact upon that as well in terms of just the availability of staff um so yes i would hope it will improve will it improve anytime soon unfortunately i don't think that's going to be the way it goes oh so, so not exactly a good news story <laughs> uh, regrettably not <laughs> um well, I mean, you, you can sort of see um, the, the recruitment issues there when the message seems to be very much, you know, why why go into the care sector when you could go and deliver parcels for Amazon for a competitive hourly rate and less stress? Um, and the stress levels do certainly seem to have risen as a direct result of COVID. You mentioned their Brexit. Um, is this a recent issue following from COVID or has it been developing for some time? Like how, how far back do we go to track this rising issue? I mean, I think it has been developing uh, over some time. There's always been uh, the the pressure in relation to, to staffing levels and things like that. I think what has happened, though, is all these different events have really accentuated the problem and they've all sort of then come all at the same time. So we've got Brexit, then we've got COVID. So you've got extra costs being laid on for PPE, for vaccinations. Some obviously don't want to, didn't want to be vaccinated. So that again caused problems in relation to staffing levels. Then your your Amazon example, or the need for HGV drivers, or whatever it may be. There were other sectors that were paying more. Uh, it's often seen as a as a sort of a low paid menial sector, which isn't isn't the case in terms of you know the menial nature of it but it is a challenge um and therefore it has been going on for a little time but the the rising rates the pressures that have come through from covid brexit and then obviously inflation wage inflation cost of living all the extra costs that go in um to being able to provide care have just really made it front and centre in terms of one of the main problems, certainly in catastrophic injury cases. And it's hard to see, as you say, you know, a, a way out of that situation in the near future. I think that's right. It's certainly in the near future, it's that there isn't anything obvious that I can see that's going to improve that picture. Um, there, is, there are some things that we might be able to do to help. You know, we've looked at um, technology, what part that might be able to play um, with the increased use of technology, what we did see uh, during during COVID in lockdowns and things like that, the greater use of technology, more things being done remotely. Um, obviously, there are certain things that can only be done face to face and hands on. But is there a way that technology and uh, remote services can be used a little bit more? That's something that we can look at. 
And I think the other issue we've got and we've been uh, trying to get some further information on is seeing all these rises. Is that actually what's being paid to the carers or is that going into the sort of the overhead expenses of the organisations as opposed to the carers actually getting an increased hourly rate? That's really interesting, isn't it? It, it is also, I imagine, quite difficult to prove and unravel that. Uh, it is. Um, that's more difficult than predicting uh, where inflation might land in two years' time. Well, that's saying something. Although, I mean, the Bank of England seem to feel quite confident there. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll leave them to that. <laughs> um, I just wanted to pick up on um, the, what you were saying about being, you know, the attempts to do more things remotely. What what sort of services can be offered in the care sector remotely? I mean, I think part of it was looking slightly, slightly off at a tangent, but in relation to rehabilitation, um, you know, certainly rehabilitation in um, in in lockdown was was a completely different beast and, and more of a challenge. Um, but case managers uh, and carers and therapists found ways to to adapt and make that work. Again, there are obvious examples where that you know it, it didn't work, but in other cases it did. Um, and I think you know again. Uh, things like MDT meetings between uh, all the therapists and the providers and the case manager, they were routinely taking place uh, via Teams or Zoom. Um, and that seemed to be a good thing. Um, why get everyone to travel here, there and everywhere? And with increased uh, fuel costs and things like that, we can all sit and, and do those remotely, not necessarily every time, but a significant number of times. That that seems to me a sensible way uh, to move forward. and it still provides the benefits but also keeps an eye on the costs and also people's time where where working from home has its real benefits in terms of cost saving absolutely Mm -hmm. Um, it's interesting because i think some sectors and some areas are moving away now starting to move away from that remote working remote examination certainly on the low value whiplash side they're they're being done away with whereas what we're seeing here is in the when it comes to care costs, it can be a real money saver. Yeah, absolutely. Where where it can be done, and as I say, there there are real obvious examples where it's not possible or practical for the benefit of the of the injured party. But in in some of the less serious than the non catastrophic cases, it's certainly something that I think can be done sensibly. Okay, thanks. Um, We can't talk about inflation without touching upon the impact on actual damages awards themselves. We've had a fairly recent update to the JC guidelines. What were the headlines there, Ken? Headlines, um, no real um, major surprises as such. It just revealed uh, an RPI increase 6.56%. Uh, across the awards, that's what that, that was really sort of the headline and fairly standard across the piece. We're expecting uh, an increase reviewed every couple of years. I suppose that the real headline is that the the top awards, for want of a better expression, for the most serious injuries, now are in excess of four hundred thousand pounds. So tetraplegia, severe brain injury, uh, the pain suffering award potentially is over £400,000. That's probably the, uh, the the main headline to take, that the first number is a four now. Quite a change and yeah. and very significant. 
Um, and I suppose, you know, again, we, we'll be watching to see what happens in the next couple of years with inflation. You know, are we going to go the way that Bank of England, I want to say predict, but maybe it's hope is a better word, um, and start to see inflation decrease. Um, and I think a lot will turn on what happens with this ongoing conflict between Russia and Ukraine, right? You know, when when will that be ending and does it get worse before it gets better? Yeah, that's right. Um, turning to property, another area where we see significant impact as a result of rising inflation um, with property costs and UK house prices increasing um, by an average of 10% over the year to November 2021. What impact does inflation have when it comes to the property element of a complex and CAT PI claim? I think what we're seeing there are a few things. Um, it's not necessarily an issue as much where um, there's an existing property because that obviously will have an increase in value of itself. But where there isn't a where there isn't a property owned already and needs to buy one, uh, then clearly it's having an impact there. Um, but also just availability of of houses generally, and obviously the need to adapt those properties. Um, so whether that be you know changes to in, include you know wet rooms and extra extra space for for carers and things like that those adaptation costs uh, are increasing just delays as that is done as people try and find properties as there's a there's a, a scrabble for people to find the right one um, delays in in products delays in materials rising costs of supplies again it's just another area um, I'm a real person full of good news aren't I but it's another area where uh, where the costs are going up yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm, I'm hearing of, of similar issues where you're, um, you've got a claimant that's having to rent a property and having to pay a real premium to get, you know, you're, you're, they're stuck in a position where they're having to rent because of an inavailable, in a lack of, of suitable properties and then having to rent somewhere which requires a lot of adaptation, having to, you know, front the cost of that and then also um, pay then maybe a higher rent than they otherwise would have done for the the, the the joy of doing so. I think that's right. I mean, landlords are in are in the box seat in many ways. Um, and certainly if someone is already in a, in a suitable property and they're coming to the end of the tenancy and are trying to either find somewhere else or want to extend, um, we're seeing that those uh, the rental costs are going up. There's a there's sort of an increase to those. Um, and it's pretty much a take it or leave it scenario. Uh, and again, that's just another element of inflation to add on to the claim. Mm -hmm. And where the claimant basically doesn't have much choice and then the insurer is the one that's that's left with the inevitable increase in costs there. Yeah, absolutely right. What impact might the um, recently passed the Building Safety Act have on construction costs? I mean, this is, a, you know, speculation as we don't know. It's very new. Yeah, I mean, I think it is. It's early days, and it's, it's still, um, you know, going to work its way through the system. But I think um, it's it would suggest that we're going to lead to increased construction costs. So again, an inflation measure there. But I suppose one one potential bit of good news is that if it's uh, if it's better building safety, um, increased site safety, then there may well be fewer claims resulting from poor build quality and site safety. So where you've got these sort of 
additional safety measures and the additional steps that are required as a result of the act, they might lead to this increase in construction cost or, or expectation that they will. Yeah, absolutely. but then you know the 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 aim is to end up with better site safety. But there's a, obviously that's going to impact, I guess, a different type of claim. The um, the overall benefit. Um, will be interesting I guess to, to to see how that hits um if it's if it's weighed up the the the, the extra cost is weighed by outweighed by the benefit or not um, time will tell yeah we'll just have to see how that pans out I think as as you said it's it's still very early days mm-hmm. um is there a good news story in the future <laughs> might construction costs improve um I think that's going to depend on the conflict um in uh, Russia, Ukraine, um, depending on how that, how long that lasts and what happens, um, I think we'll still see, you know, continued uh, increases. Um, but again, with our positive hat on, we would hope that that would uh, end, and then we'll start to see a decrease. Do they get back to our sort of pre-COVID levels? I'd have to say that's got to be doubtful. But mm-hmm. um, hopefully, it won't be a it won't be a chart that's continually going up and might and might flat line for a bit. Mm-hmm. Now is not the time to do your loft conversion unless you absolutely have to. Not unless you need to. <laughs> okay, shall we switch to motor, Natalie? And I can turn the tables and just uh, say to you, okay, we've looked at care and property, but um, what about motor? What are the current issues that we face in this area as an industry? I could write a, a really long list, I think, um, but I'll just pull out some key points. Um, ongoing supply chain issues and um, in particular, a few new vehicles available, which has a real impact um, here um, with prices of secondhand vehicles being pushed up as a result. Um problems with part availability such as wire harnesses which I don't pretend to understand what they actually are or what they do but um, but I hear about them a lot. Um, (laughs) Increased pressure on existing supply issues so catalytic converters and semiconductor chips I do know what they are at least Um, and then (laughs) shortages pushing up prices of some metals such as aluminium and nickel and um, a lack of skilled mechanics and professionals um, uh, which has resulted in an increased wage costs, increased repair times and that in turn then has a knock-on effect um, in terms of the time in a courtesy or hire vehicle and increased storage costs so again not exactly a good news story no, uh, we're, we're a pair between us, aren't we, really? What's the knock-on <laughs> effect then between these these issues that you just highlighted further on down the track? I think this is this is a really interesting thing. And, you know, we, we can we can speculate only, but, um, you know, we, we are getting closer to government's deadline of 2030 to move over to electric vehicles. And, um, it, you know, you can't help but struggle to wonder how they're going to meet that deadline and, and not have to push that 
back if we don't see enough electric vehicles in circulation. And it's not just the new vehicles that we need to see in circulation. We need to see a really good second-hand market to make that deadline work. And it is that's becoming, I know it feels like we're a long way away from that, but when you track back in terms of what you need to happen now, I think we, we're just not, we're not seeing the numbers of vehicles on the road. We're not seeing the development there. Um, with those supply chain issues that I touched upon just now. Um, less availability of parts, we're seeing that result in more theft to order. Um, so I, I mentioned catalytic converters there, but um, in particular, like um, catalytic converters from electric vehicles, apparently they are just so much cleaner in general, understandably, um, and they can be used in other vehicles. That's becoming a real problem. And that's obviously going to have a real um, a knock-on effect for um, insurers and for consumers in terms of what they're then going to be um, faced with in terms of insurance costs. Fewer new vehicles available. I mean, might we see just a, a change in how um, consumers use vehicles in the future? Might we see more vehicle sharing in the future and um, the need for that to be reflected in terms of insurance products offered? Um, and then obviously people keeping secondhand vehicles for longer and what that means in terms of quality of vehicle and safety impacts that that might have. Yeah. And what do you think? Anything insurers can do to help the pressures that we've just gone through? I think there are a couple of areas that um, I see insurers already sort of really concentrating on. Um, and um, one of those is um, the, the moving more into the approved secondhand part market. And I think that's um, a good news story, um, if we can turn some of this into good news, <laughs> um, to come out of um, some of what's happened, these supply chain issues and inflation issues. Because, um, you know, if we can work our way as an industry of um, of recycling secondhand parts, um, you know, in a sustainable and safe way, then surely that is a fantastic thing for the environment. Um, and then I think one area where um, insurers can and have been giving real consideration is into their investments in their own apprenticeship schemes to increase the volume of mechanics and skilled professionals where they do have, you know, own their own kind of repair network, which many of the larger insurers um, do have, um, you know, some stake in that part of the process. Yeah. So, so we, I think we've managed to find little bits of of good news, um, but overall, um, let's face it, this is it's hard not to be a bit doom and gloom, isn't it, Ken, on this subject? And it is. There's not a lot of good news about <laughs> on this particular issue. It has to be said. Um, and I, I think certainly, as you know, as lawyers, but uh, perhaps being um, um, maybe a bit more realistic about the potential for the future and when we might see a way out of this situation. Um, I mean, I, I'd like to leave on a on a positive note, but I think for now what we really have to do is just keep a real close eye on this situation. And then as an industry, just trying to find dynamic ways of, of operating within the situation that we're faced with. Um, you know, for us at Keos, I guess that involves, you know, looking at, for example, care costs areas you were sort of you touched on earlier you know monitoring costs seeing what we can 
what we can eke out by way of data to um, look at, you know, what, what's actually being passed on to carers themselves there and making sure there's fairness um, across the sector as much as we can, as we, we play a role there. Um, there are all sorts of things that we can do rather than just, I guess, accepting fate and, and um, writing the cheque. Does anyone write cheques anymore? But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just intelligence gathering, really, and just trying mm-hmm. to to spot trends as they come through and try and see where there are areas where we can where we can help and make a difference. Um, in what is, you know, a lot of this is, if, uh, if the Bank of England can say that, they're pretty helpless. Um, it sometimes mm-hmm. feels like that from our point of view, but all we can do is try and, you know, spot the trends and mm-hmm. identify some issues and some areas where we, we can positively influence it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and this is an area, you know, we'll, we'll be keeping um, very close eye on and tracking and uh, we'll aim to bring our clients as much intel as we can when we get it. Watch this space. Thanks very much, Ken. No problem. Good to speak to you. Bye, everyone.